0: Righty-roo. We are going to jump right into, I know, already root. I don't know why. Okay, it's good. Okay. That, that means transition. So um, we are transitioning to our sermon series, Making Room for Jesus. And this is uh, inspired by the story of Jesus' birth in Luke. And the fun thing is um, the birth of Jesus was uh, anticipated, expected. It was prophesied about, yet still um, there was no room for him when it came time for him to be born. And so uh, uh, in this series, in this morning, we believe that that's more than just a story. But I think it's a foreshadowing of our lives. Do we make room for Jesus? And, and, and the beauty of Christmas is it is like the beginning of the gospel. Because the, the whole gospel is God coming down to earth to be with us to, to, to meet with us, he came, he died, he rose again, and now we live connected to God. And so through this Christmas season, you might hear uh, um, an expression or a word used to describe Jesus in this time, and that is Emmanuel. And it's also my middle name, if you're wondering, uh, if you think that my mom has a high opinion of me, my Italian name is Salvatore, which is Savior, Emanuele, which means God with us. So no pressure, Sam, no pressure, <laughs> But uh, here we are, Emmanuel, God with us, and, and that's more than just the story of Christmas. It's the story of our lives. God is with us, and if we're being honest, the idea of God being with us, the idea of His His Spirit in us and us in Christ, uh, becomes familiar. We become familiar with it. We become kind of used to it, and and and, and so the question this morning that we're gonna look at, is there room for God in our awe, in our wonder? And how does that reflect our attitude? God with us, are we familiar with this? Um, I think we can relate to this concept. Uh, um, we've, we've, most of us have experienced the, the feeling of getting a new job. You know when you get a new job and it's like really, really exciting, and you're, su- you're super stoked for this new job, and you go to this new job, and you're like, yeah, and you go early, you're 10 minutes early, coffee this company this is going to be amazing best best boss and then a month goes by and you start complaining about the people you work with and the you know the the the, the sheen kind of wears off or probably uh, um, probably a better example for me is um, like the new car thing do you remember getting your, your car whether it's new to you or like just a new car you remember that feeling or your first car I don't know if you're like me. Um, oh, it's so good. Anyways, it, sorry, I just saw. It. It's good to see you again. Uh, um, if you are like me, you know you get the new car. My, mine was my motorcycle. Uh, his name was Bluya yeah, or her name, that's corny we our girls. The blue Yamaha, and, and you get the motorcycle and you wash the motorcycle, right? You wax the motorcycle. You clean the engine off with the toothbrush. You degrease the spots, and you, it's beautiful. And you wax it, and it's shiny. And, and, and the same thing with the car. You wash the car. You clean the inside of the car. Do you guys remember the rule? No food in the car. How long does that last, right? And then all of a sudden, like, the time goes by, and then all of a sudden, you kind of skip your weekend wash, right? You, you, you kind of, you know, okay, fine, eat the McDonald's fries, kids, just stop talking, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and next thing you know, the, 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 the luster of that new vehicle has become familiar, and it's worn off, right? And this can be the same thing with our walk with Christ. When we become familiar with the awe and wonder that is God with us, we fall short of the desire in the heart for our Father, for us to thrive, to flourish. Because this morning, whether we feel it or not, God is with us. And so, I'm probably going to do the least Christmassy thing ever, and we're actually going to look at Joshua to kind of highlight this. Now, before we jump into uh, uh, the verse, I'm just going to give a little really, really bad brief history of where this is going and context of where this is going. So uh, uh, here... Uh, Israel has uh, is been given this promise of this land. And so, uh, before that, 40 years before, they were slaves in Egypt. They were set free. And Moses kind of came in there and they did the whole, whole fun things and the plagues and the things. And then they were set free. And, and immediately they were free and they were excited. Yeah, God is amazing. God is good. And they run into the, the Red Sea and the Egyptians following behind them. And immediately it was like, God, where are you? And they just forgot. And then he split the sea, part of the sea, and they walked through the sea. Yay, God is with us. And then. See clothes and that's all that kind of fun stuff, and then they get hungry, right? They're really is like, oh man, it's better to be a slave. God, where are you? You have abandoned me. Then God miraculously provides food from the sky. Food from the sky? Do you know how many times I've asked for food from the sky? Have you ever been hiking? I'm like, God, food from the sky, and make this trail end. Anyone else? Uh, um, anyways. Uh, and God's providing food from the sky and, and, and he's leading them by you know, fire at night and a cloud by the day. There's really cool things. And then they kind of get, God, I'm tired of free food from heaven. And he's like, hey, here's some meat. And they got quails, quails, right? And it's like all these miraculous things. Yet it's a story of, of Israel continuously forgetting. And now here they are right on the edge of their promise and their leader, Moses, who's supposed to bring them into their promise, dies. Oh, <laughs> Man, right? Israel's like, oh, where are you, God? And then, now Joshua comes on the scene. And now this is where we are here. And, and so um, Joshua 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, uh, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south, to the Lebanon mountains to the north, from the Euphrates River to the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you, nor will I abandon you. Now, this promise in Joshua is not a new promise, right? It was a promise given to Moses. And before that, it was a promise given to to Abraham, right? It's a promise given to, to, I'm going out of order, but to no one. It's a promise given throughout Scripture, this promise. So it wasn't a new promise. And really, if you look at it, uh, Israel had f- this forty years of hoping for receiving this land, hoping for this fulfillment uh, of this uh, of this prophecy. and now they're right on the edge of their promise, but if we really look at the story of Israel here the minute they were set free from slavery, they were actually living in the promise. they were living with the provision that God gives them. they were experiencing the miraculous daily. They were actually in their promise, but they couldn't see their promise because it looked different than what they were expecting, right? In their minds, the promise was, we will have this land. And here, throughout the entire journey, they were completely unaware that God was with them. Isn't that wild? God was with them the entire times. Now, how many of us can kind of relate to this feeling of being right on the edge of God's promise? right on the edge of something good it's like it's like right there we we start with this this hope and this fulfillment and i feel like the great description of this is the statement we make in our minds or we say out loud the if then statements the if-then. If this happens, then I'll be okay. If I just get this raise, then it's going to work out. If I just get this job, then it's going to work out. If I can just make a little more, then this is going to work out. If I just get the new car, then I won't have this. If, if my wife can just do this, then this. If my husband can just do this, then this. So it's this if-then. And we live on the edge of the if-then. Right? We're so close. If only I, and then this will happen. And we, we start with this enthusiasm, we start with this thankfulness, it reflects in our attitude, and then it starts to fade, and then despair sets in, then hopelessness sets in, our head starts coming then we start coping, right? If you want a good indication that things aren't going well with me, my sarcasm ramps up, right? Anyone else? <laughs> right? And, and, and uh, I'm someone who's not very aware of anything, if we're being honest. I'm not very aware, I'm definitely not aware of myself. But my wife can tell because my attitude begins to change. The words that come out of my mouth begin to change. And I don't even see it. And I get the code word is, uh, Sam, have you spent time with Jesus? Which means, Sam, you're being a loser. Stop it. Right? There's a proverb I love to quote, and, and I, I've said it over and over and over again. It's Proverbs 13, 12. And it says this, Hope defers make, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream or a longing fulfilled is the tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And some of us are living that. We're living sick. And our attitude is sick. And we are sick because our hope has been deferred. The ifs keep coming, but not the thens. Do you know what I mean? The race comes, but not the then. I change my circumstance, but nothing actually changes. And all these ifs, lead to this empty then. A hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, um, we, again, use hope uh, in a funny way in our kind of North American context. Kind of like, it's more like a wish. Like I look outside and I see it's sunny. It's like, I hope I can put on shorts and a t-shirt and play outside when it's like minus three, right? It, it's, uh, I hope that this winter it will be like summer and will feel like Hawaii. It's, it's not gonna happen. I hope I win the lottery. I don't even play the lottery. It's not gonna happen, Right? And sometimes that's what we do with hope. Yet the kind of biblical idea of hope, if I can simply define it, hope is this firm foundation. It's like an anchor, firmly set. And, and when, our, when we place our hope on things that aren't firmly set, we place our hope on the if-thens of life. That, and, and like, who's had a smooth life? But whose life in here has just been like, it's been good all the way through. It's just, excellent. life is full of ups and downs. We live in a broken world where sin exists, brokenness exists, broken people exist. And if, there, if everyone was like me, then it would be smooth. But it's not true, right? And the ups and downs. And so if we're placing our hope on circumstances around us, then that, we're getting sick. How many of us adults can swing on a swing? I did. Wow, that's, that's a talent. Right? I just look at a swing and I'm like... Ugh! right, This up and down leaves us sick. So what can we place our hope in that is firm? It's a leading question because I think we know the answer. The definition of hope is placing our foundation on a God who is faithful. That's the biblical definition of hope. Hope is tied to our view and understanding of our Father. And if we don't have it, then we don't have hope. We have something that's continuously deferred. But a longing fulfilled is life, a, a dream fulfilled is life. When we move our foundation from what we want to see onto a God who is faithful in his character and his nature and is consistent that is the only way we equal or get to fulfillment hear me because so many times we think it's situations and sometimes situations have to change but if our foundation isn't set then the changing of our circumstances doesn't give us life you can't do one without the other. You can't change your circumstances until you've set your foot footing, right? So if we go back to Joshua and we're not, but, but Joshua five, Joshua one five, we see that the promise that Joshua was given isn't something necessarily he will see because Moses didn't see the promise, Abraham didn't see the problem, all the fathers before didn't see the fulfillment of the promise yet. They saw and they lived in the promise because this is the promise that God gives Joshua. I will not leave you. I will not fail you. I will be with you. This is what God says to Joshua. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. And I will not fail you. And this is hope. Because this morning, regardless of the insanity that is life and the busyness of any season we go through, God will not leave you and he will not fail you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us and he is there. This is our hope. And regardless of our circumstances, this is true of the nature of God. So as God spoke to Joshua, he kind of shows him two ways that he can actually walk in or realize or receive this promise now. This is what he says to Joshua in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, neither turning right to left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. For this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So as we look at this, we look at verse 7. Verse uh, um, follow my instructions, don't deviate from right to left. We can look at that like a list of do's and don'ts. And if our view of God is one that he's looking to kind of make sure we we keep the straight and narrow, if we deviate, he kind of crafts the whip, you know, the the God, the judge, the God, the police officer, the God, the punisher. And if that is our view, then what we do is actually motivated out of fear uh, and avoiding punishment. And that usually leads... To kind of shame and hiding. And truth is, if if our view of God, whether spoken or or even not spoken, we would say, oh no, I know God is good, yet our actions reflect a view that sees God as someone who the minute we do something wrong, does something wrong to us. And a good measuring stick that this is actually how we view God is if our first instinct when life kind of goes wrong is to think, oh, have I been reading my Bible? Well, maybe I didn't pray enough. Oh, I should have fasted. Is anyone like with me? Like I've done it. So am I like the only one who's kind of broken here? Right? But, but that's an indication that our view of God is actually kind of broken because that's not who he is. In fact, that's like a moving target because what is enough? What is enough reading the Bible? What is enough praying? What is enough fasting? That is not consistent with the character of God because God has made us enough Through Jesus laying down his Godhood, becoming fully man, then bearing the cross, taking our shame, but then he didn't stay dead. He rose again and then gave us life. He is good enough. In fact, that view of God is completely inconsistent. When our awareness of God realizes that the story here we're talking about is a God who removes all boundaries, who actually came to us who wants to connect with us, who actually paved the way for us, who literally literally lives in us through his Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that we are also in Christ. The beautiful picture, uh, um, as Paul writes, that not only is Christ in us, but but we are in Christ, is this picture of being completely entwined. Have you ever, like, you have a box of jewelry, okay, and then, like, you go to grab a necklace out of the box of jewelry, and then all your necklaces are one, right? And you're like, ah, that's not getting, more appropriately guys, Christmas lights, doesn't matter how you, how you, oh man, just burn to the ground. Literally, when I was like putting up Christmas lights, I will not lie, there was like four years in a row where I just bought four sets of new lights. Anyone else with me? Okay, anyways. That's the picture of relationship that God actually pursues or makes possible for us. So the idea that God would literally come down from heaven, suffer this world just so he could punish us makes no sense. That is not the character of God. He actually does all of this because God wants us to actually flourish and thrive in this life. The heart of Jesus is your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. As, as Paul and all the New Testament writers write in the letters to the churches, that we are literally living even just a forties glimpses of heaven here on earth now. And so when we begin to apply the principles like God is telling Joshua here, when you follow my commands, what we're actually releasing is favor and a prosperous condition. And if we go back to the proverb, that is the longing fulfilled. That is how we walk in fulfillment. God who made the entire world. God who set it all in motion knows exactly how it works and then says as you walk in this, this way, this unlocks favor. This unlocks goodness. This unlocks flourishing. This unlocks heaven here on earth. Isn't that beautiful? That's the God we worship. Not the distant God the God who chooses to be intertwined with us. You see, when we begin doing that, that begins reflecting on our attitude. Because when we understand that we are loved by God and live out that love, when we begin applying the principles and walking in the flourishing, and this is the beauty thing. If we think like prospering is linked to bank account and everything being smooth, then guys, we've missed the plot. Because if they can't flourish in Haiti, then we can't flourish. You know what I mean? Like the God, the God is God all over the world. And, and we are like ridiculously blessed here. Like, like let's not be ridiculous here. But yet in all our situations, whether up or down, we can still prosper and walk in his favor and flourishing. What we're talking about is fulfillment. No matter what goes around us, like that awesome hymn, it is well. It as well is a spiritual gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. Because when he wrote that song, it was not well, but it was well. Because God is God. Does that make sense? And then he tells Joshua, and, and this reflects, because as the attitude lines up with heaven, it kind of leads to the second part. Which is meditate on God's word. Now, now uh, in Joshua's time, uh, they kind of had; they didn't have very much written at all. They had a little bit of the law, but what was actually a practice was this, this oral repetition of God's faithfulness and, and promises being fulfilled generation by generation by generation. They would hear and repeat the story of Egypt, the story of the plagues, the story of being set free, the the being led by fire at night by pillar of cloud during day, God's fulfillment through their ancestors' stories. And and so they would be hearing this. Now, uh, uh, sometimes we can view meditating kind of like Eastern idea of emptying our mind. But the biblical uh, uh, idea of meditating is actually filling our mind. It's kind of the opposite. Uh, One person, one author writes that it's like cows. Cows have multiple stomachs. I don't remember how many they have. Seven, four, five, five. There you go. More than me. And so uh, they will chew grass and then spit it out. Chew it again. Spit it out. It's actually really, really close. It's called chewing, chewing the cud, right? And this is what cows do. They chew. And this is the idea of meditating. We're chewing on the God's character, his nature, his word, his promises, his faithfulness, his favor. We're chewing on it. Now, as we're sitting here, I can tell you confidently that every person in this room is an expert at meditating because it works both ways, right? We're sitting in the shower and we think of our budget as we're washing. Oh, I don't really have hair, so it's really quick. Let's pretend, right? Okay, washing my hair. And it's like, oh man, how am I going to make hen's meat? Oh man, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? right? Or how many of us have planned an entire fight in the shower, right? This is what I'm going to say, and then Katie's going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and it's perfect, right? What we're doing is we're meditating on. We're chewing over and over again in our mind, right? And we're getting angrier and angrier. Has anyone done that, right? You sit there stewing. Oh, that person said something, and then it's a... And then we've meditated like an expert and built this entire scenario. Well, the same way we can do with the faithfulness and goodness of God because God is the same yesterday today and forever he's been faithful remember when God came through for me here remember this financial provision here remember this job here remember his goodness remember his thankfulness remember his his faithfulness remember remember the story that James told me remember the story that Glenn told me remember the story that I heard here remember this testimony and we're meditating Because God, you are good and your love endures forever. We're we're meditating on God's word. Where can I hide that you are not there? Where can I go where you can't find me? And we're filling our minds with the nature and the character of God. So this is what God is telling Joshua. Look, if you want to receive and walk in the promise, do what I've laid out for you to do. I've actually marked the way. That's the, don't veer left or right. It's kind of like, Do you remember gym class when you learned dancing and they put the little things on the floor and you just follow your feet? Because if you don't start following, you know, you can totally get lost. Well, this is life. God says, hey, look, I've laid it out. My word is a lamp unto your feet. I'm, I'm shining it out. So now walk, follow, right? Who's ever tried walking in the dark? You deviate by like a few centimeters. Oh man, and you smoke the wall. But God's like, no, no, follow me here. Then he's like, hey, the world, man, things are going to go up, things are going to go down, it's going to be crazy, focus on who I am. I'm faithful, I am good. I'm faithful, I'm good. I'm for you. I will not leave you, and I will not abandon you. When things don't look like you want them to see, understand that I am the promise. If our attitude is sick and hopeless, if we're too busy just doing life... I'm gonna put my head down. I'm just gonna work hard. Then we're missing out. Because we're doing it without the fulfillment that comes from God. So, how I walk it out is actually Psalms 100. So, Psalms 100 is literally a roadmap that I physically use to get my attitude back in line. Because this might surprise you guys here this morning, but sometimes I can have a pretty bad attitude. Sometimes, sometimes, I can uh, uh, lose the plot. I can become really familiar with the idea of His Spirit in me. It's true. It's not hard to become familiar with it. Man, sometimes it goes the minute I watch a Canucks game. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not easy. So I, I literally use this, and I have this, and it's Psalms 100. And so I'm going to read it to you, and I'll show you what I do. It says, Shout to the Lord. Are this command to worship, to praise, to give thanks, to begin to shift your attention? Because most of the time, when my attitude is really bad, it's because I am focusing on me. I'm kind of throwing my own pity party. It is a tough life for Sam. It is hard for Sam. Why does all this ever happen to Sam? Oh, poor Sam! As a joke, I always text Katie Italian. Oh, povero Sametto. That's what I say. Oh, poor Sam. Right. And I need to shift my attention off of me onto God. God, you are worthy. God, you are so good. You are worthy of my worship. Holy, holy, I quote this all the time I worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Because even if I don't feel like worshiping, that statement is true regardless of my attitude. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of my attention. And then we get to verse three, and it gives us the reason why we're supposed to worship. Because he is God. He is God. But His is the best part. And he is ours. Isn't that crazy? Like, just take a second and think of God, right? Like, where else does God say, I am yours. We worship because he is God. We are his and he is ours. Oh, sometimes I just need that reminder. Man, God is for me. That's pretty cool. I mean, if I got to go through life, better God for me than like not for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then verse four, I feel like gives I think in principles, this is like the business mind going on. I think in principles. So it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. I mean, when you think of gate, usually gates are there to keep things in or out, right? Like you don't usually have a gate with no fence, because then what is that? It's a waste of a gate, right? And so um, I had to answer that for you. So here's the gate, and, and, and the entrance into his presence is thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? It's not like fasting. It's not incredible. To, it's not, I have memorized you know, uh, um, all of the book of Titus. I picked a short one. Philmon, whatever. I have memorized all of Romans. Let me enter your presence. No, no. The, the key to his presence is thanksgiving. You want to discover God's presence where you are right now? Give him thanks. Give him praise. That's the principle. God, where are you? Give him thanks. And you discover it pretty quickly. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then verse 5 is this promise of hope for the lord is good his unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation i feel like we have become familiar with god's goodness it's it's easy and like if i was god i would say it's too easy yet somewhere in God's infinite wisdom. And the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than ours. His love is deeper than ours. And I understand that God represents himself like a person, like calls himself father, and he calls us sons and daughters. But God is not a better version of me. He's not a fixed version of your dad. God is God. And when he says he's faithful, he is faithful because he can't be faithful. I can promise you that I'll be there, but there's no guarantees of my promise, right? I could slip and fall down the stairs. There's mice on there right now, right? Gone, right? I could be, forget. I do that too. Guys, I have, I use sticky notes instead of a calendar. How dumb is that? So I might miss an appointment, but God is faithful because he is God. So this morning, um, that's kind of what I want to leave with you, that as we make room For God, we leave room just to be in awe of his faithfulness and his love for us. Just to be in awe and wonder of what he does. Because even when there's like, there, there is no way, he makes a way. And God moves so miraculously. So don't miss our version of the fire by night and the cloud by the day because we're so focused on the if and then. Guys, if then, does not matter? Start with, God, you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of my attention. Sam, if you want to start coming forward, you're worthy of my attention. That God, you are God. And I am yours and you are mine. We are intertwined together. We are connected. You want some help there? Good. We are connected together. I'm going to enter your presence with thanksgiving. I give you praise. I give you worship. You're worthy of it because, God, you are good. You are faithful. Your love is unending. So, this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to respond as we um, kind of take a time to just close with a little bit of worship here, close with a song. And as we're closing, I just want us to take a self inventory. How are we viewing God? Do we view God as the punisher? Are we saying the things like I used to say, am I praying enough? Am I fasting enough? Maybe we're here this morning and and we don't even really believe that is God even real? And you're wondering. And the invitation to receive the fullness of his presence, his spirit is just believing in him. And so this morning, I want to leave time for that, that you just begin to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus came to this world for you, that Jesus died and rose again, for you, and that Jesus makes a way to connect with God, and God wants to connect with you. So even as we worship, just take that inventory, and if you've been wondering where God is, just begin to give him praise. Just begin to give him thanks, because he's worthy of it. So Sam, why don't you just lead us a little bit?